0: Uh, you know uh, Ajay Gudawarthi, uh, who will be talking about gender and Muslim politics beyond Islamophobia. And uh, before I go to Ajay, just a brief introduction about um, uh, Dr. Ajay Gudawarthi. Well, in fact, he completed his PhD in 2003 from the Centre for Political Studies, uh, JNU, New Delhi. Uh, his thesis was titled as Fragmentation and Solidarity A Study of Caste, Class, and Gender Movements in Andhra Pradesh, which is a study of the interface between the three political movements. Uh, his first teaching assignment was at the National University of Juridical Sciences, uh, Kolkata, from 2001 to 2003. Um, you know, um, of course, uh, here uh, he taught, um, apart from political science, the constitutional history of India. Uh, from 2003 to 2006, he was at the National Law School, Bangalore. And uh, then, in fact, um, you know, uh, his areas of research interests include political theory, especially critical theory. And uh, so I just want to add here that um, he has been teaching um, at the Center for Political Studies, CPS, that is, uh, in JNU from 2006. Okay? And uh, so his major areas of research include political theory especially critical theory, contemporary political movements, post-colonial theory, and debates on civil society. As part of engaging with these areas, um, he edited a critical volume titled Reframing Democracy and Agency in India, uh, which was published in 2012 by Anthem London. Uh, He has published um, a book uh, entitled Politics of Post-Civil Society Contemporary History of Political Movements in India in 2013, Sage, Delhi. And here uh, he really tried to argue that contemporary political movements, including the human rights, Dalit, next slide, feminists, and collective, against new industrialization are pushing and nudging towards a new kind of politics of poor civil society. Uh, his current research has been around contemporary developments in Indian democracy after globalization, and where he's attempting to take a fresh look at the interface between these two currents. And uh, he's been trying to look at the possibility of theorizing as to how, post-colonial theory and liberal politics in India belong to the same epistemic community. These, in course of time, should develop into research papers and published monographs. And, um, you know, in fact, um, he has completed many international projects, uh, you know, at different places, um, uh, in different, uh, you know, countries. Um, And he has written lots of uh, academic uh, writings and um, has been contributing regularly to news dailies, which uh, like the Hindu Express, Deccan Herald, Hans India, among others. Uh, he, uh, of course, as I mentioned, he's um, written a couple of books, edited a couple of books, and has been a prolific writer in the media on contemporary issues, defining, and, uh, defining politics, and understanding the political strands in the country and the world as such well i can go on and on it's a long bio that i have of um, you know ajay but i will give it to ajay now to speak on gender and muslim politics beyond islamophobia after his uh, presentation we'll open it for um, discussion so you all are most welcome to ask your questions for clarifications so over to you dr ajay thank you for your presentation doctor. thank you dr indu uh, i'm i'm audible
1: yeah, you're yeah, all right, Very much okay right, yeah. Please go ahead. Fine. And uh, let me also thank uh, Arjun, Arjan's friend, who took the initiative to organize this. And uh, I really gather the institute seems to be very active with lots of, lots of talks. So i see them on the website. There are quite a few videos uh, are posted there. So what I wish to really do today is to uh, revisit the relevance of gender in the uh, current context, in the entire uh, political economy and the political and the social context that we are living through, uh, which is marked by a certain kind of a a cultural majoritarian turn. Uh, And uh, my general sense is that gender, I think, uh, would be a very important entry point into this uh, uh, in terms of uh, deconstructing uh, cultural majoritarianism. But for that, uh, the, uh, the other important link one needs to really understand is how does one frame uh, Muslim politics uh, in India today? And uh, much of it, this, the, 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 I think we would all agree that there has been a growing sense of uh, intimidation, violence and exclusion, including the current debate on NRC and CAA uh, around the plight uh, the of uh, religious minorities, especially the Muslims. Uh, but much of this, uh, uh, the current uh, uh, situation of the Muslims uh, is being <clears throat> politically countered through the discourse of uh, Islamophobia, that there is a blanket uh, usage of this term of Islamophobia, that uh, everything is put into this basket, that every kind of a debate, uh, is, uh, in a sense, remains settled uh, because of uh, this kind of a blanket uh, framing. And my... Uh, uh, attempt would be to sort of open it up and argue that uh, there is actually no Islamophobia in India, that uh, this is actually a borrowed term, uh, much from the North American and European context. Uh, uh, and what we do have in India is what I refer to uh, in both of my writings as uh, contextual communalism, that uh, we need to make a conceptual distinction between communalism and Islamophobia. Communalism, I think, uh, is a much real complex uh, phenomenon that is linked to socio cultural issues and uh, uh, political and economic uh, issues. That it has also to do with the uh, a sense of memory of the nation and uh, it's also linked with the uh, concrete cultural differences, everyday uh, cultural differences and social ethics. And uh, I think it carries a certain kind of a real and partly imagined historical injury of the uh, majority uh, religious community in India. <clears throat> Therefore, communalism, I think, is at a, at a level of the everyday practices uh, that we have, social, cultural, political, and economic. Islamophobia, on the other hand, I think uh, uh, is a completely different phenomenon that requires uh, some sense of uh, not knowing the other, of treating the other as a stranger. Uh, uh, from which that idea of from that distance of not knowing uh, uh, through this process of othering, uh, there is a kind of a hegemonic justification for uh, xenophobic violence, uh, visceral hatred, uh, and an irrational kind of a fear of the Muslim. Uh, but my sense is that in the Indian context, I don't think we have those, that kind of a social context where a Muslim uh, is an unknown figure or is a stranger or the process of othering involves uh, this kind of a visceral hatred or uh, more so a kind of a fear uh, so my argument therefore is that there is no that kind of an irrational fear of the muslims that for instance you find in <clears throat> in north america or uh, in europe and this has to do with the social uh, phenomenon of the process of kind of modernity that europe and north america have process of individual individuation Uh, uh, and individualism that Europe has. We have, I think, a different kind of a communitarian context. And therefore, I argue that much of the violence against the religious minorities in India, as Paul Brass argued in his book on collective violence, is is very organized and uh, socially kind of engineered kind of a violence. We rarely have instances of spontaneous or organic kind of violence uh, uh, breaking out. And therefore, uh, we need to understand the uh, Muslim, uh, the situation of the religious minorities in India through what I refer to as contextual communalism. And I argue that Islamophobia I think, is a counterproductive narrative that secular, uh, democratic, and progressive forces have uh, themselves, in a sense, compelled to kind of use this uh, bracket, simplified. Term for very many different complex of social phenomena that are existing on the ground. So we need to avoid this Islamophobia, and that's the argument I'm going to make as to why we need to make this distinction between communalism and uh, Islamophobia. I think is a very important uh, distinction, to my mind, in the Indian context. For instance, as I said, communalism in India emerges from a sense of a uh, memory and historical injury. If you look at, for instance, the complex history of two nation theory that and that resulted in partition in 47 uh, in india <clears throat> and then we had uh, for instance, if you take telangana we had the rule of uh, rule of nizam uh, which involved violence perpetrated by the by their private militia the razakars uh, now i don't think uh, uh, it would be a fair thing to say that uh, critique of nizam's rule or critique of uh, 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 triggering or opening up a debate on the nature of violence by the razakars uh, is Islamophobia. I think much secular progressive historians often, I think, uh, we, we tend to sort of, you know, blanket and uh, flatten out this. Uh, I think Nizam's rule, if you look at the history of uh, Telangana, was fairly oppressive. Uh, but what is, uh, is that, what is distinct is that the, when the right wing forces currently, they, when they're mobilizing in Telangana, use this history of uh, Razakars, violence by Razakat but the uh, offer is a very selective rendering of uh, history. They forget that the, that Nizam was in alliance with the Hindu, mostly the Reddy community, uh, caste-based uh, landlords, uh, and it was also a movement against the communist uh, insurgency that was being uh, that was present then. And therefore, what Wright does is that it offers a selective rendering, uh, kind of a distorted causation. Uh, And to counter this, uh, one cannot simply also avoid historical complexities and uh, uh, instead displace it through this kind of an abstract uh, blanket and a very vague term called uh, Islamophobia.
2: So when history
1: uh, is being distorted, the real challenge, I think, is to think through that historical complexity, that there are so many variations that exist in history, that there were razakas. There was a real term violence against uh, Hindus by Razakars, but that violence was not merely out of a religious kind of a hatred, but it was it involved a class question. It involved uh, the simultaneous communist insurgency, the, as I said, ready landlords uh, were in uh, connivance with the Razakars. The real challenge uh, for the secular uh, progressive uh, forces is uh, to think through how to make this historical complexity, how to translate. This historical complexity into popular uh, in popular politics and into some kind of a popular imagination. Uh, therefore, people understand that, that there was a history uh, or, or historical context to that violence rather than deny that violence or merely a, a, a brand talking of that politics as uh, Islamophobia. The reason why I say that there is no uh, Islamophobia uh, in the Indian uh, context is that uh, it's even if you take a simple survey, I've done a couple of surveys around this that even the worst I go in India uh, does not, uh, you know, uh, kind of abu- is never abusive of a Prophet or of Islam as a religion. Uh, I think the the most Hindus would agree that all religions are, are legitimate. Uh, modes of faith are the legitimate route to uh, spirituality. Uh, There is no, as I said, random hatred of of Muslims that you will find, uh, which is what is being constructed gradually. But uh, as yet, I would still stick out my neck and argue that there is no random uh, hatred uh, against uh, the Muslims. Uh, And I think Delhi riots, I'm told uh, Dr. Hindu was uh, involved, um, perhaps it would be good to take off uh, this point that uh, even Delhi riots were a kind of social engineered riot rather than a spontaneous uh, uh, thing that was born out of visceral hatred for Muslims. It is very contextual, this kind of a violence that is uh, concerted, concerted efforts by spreading rumors and misinformation on WhatsApp and other social media. Is how gradually these riots and a lot of outsiders generally are involved. Uh, 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 in, in these kinds of uh, violent eruptions, rather than that being uh, erupting uh, spontaneously in an organic uh, sense. Uh, similarly, if you look at even at the height of the campaign of garvapsi and uh, love jihad, uh, I argue that India has what I refer to as an oscillating public sphere. That there is a certain amount of consent that moves into these kinds of forms of mobilization of love jihad, garvapsi, and things like that. But you will also see simultaneously approval of popular Bollywood flicks like Bajrangi Baijaan and PK becoming such massive hits right at the time when we were witnessing this kind of a huge uh, communal polarized uh, discourse emerging. So I think we have an oscillating public sphere that can congeal and become quite polarized in certain contexts, but then it can also swing back into a more open-ended kind of uh, composite. Uh, so why, how does this happen? I think it's a very complex uh, historical question, which I will not be able to uh, take it up here. Uh, but uh, what I would argue is therefore that I think we should, we need to take this phenomenon of uh, it being porous, this communalism being porous and contextual rather than Kanjit. And my point is that the right-wing forces, the Sang Parivar forces are precisely attempting the the challenge for them is that this this communalism does not get congealed it, it is not frozen it uh, swings what they're doing is actually to build islamophobia in india that to build a kind of a random a visceral irrational hatred of for everything that has to do with uh, uh, muslims uh, and therefore and that is where they are failing again and again that there are moments that discourse Seems to appeal, and there is a kind of hysteria that generates, but the moment that it, it does not simply appeal. So I think Delhi was a clear example that after Delhi riots, Delhi election results is a clear example of this that no amount of building of that hysteria through Golim, Maro, and, and all kinds of discourse. I mean, I was in Delhi, it was suffocating during that one week, 10 days preceding the election. It was like we were being bombarded and I was traveling and talking in, in public transport to auto drivers. And they were so clear that uh, it was so clear that that, that that discourse was simply not impacting uh, people. And they're very clear that which way they would be voting uh, and so on. But there are contexts in which they might buy this discourse. So I think we need to keep open. And that's why I prefer to call it contextual communalism. And had we had Islamophobia, I think Islamophobia requires a kind of a hysteria. I think what is uh, unique when compared to even if you look at the German history uh, is that uh, in Germany uh, Nazis uh, partly uh, succeeded because they could build a kind of hysteria and in India the right wing forces are precisely failing to build a hysteria that we do not have a hysteria against uh, uh, Muslims and therefore they're trying to build uh, this kind of a discourse of Islamophobia. Secular progressive uh, democratic forces, I think, are indulging in a fun, certain kind of a counterproductive narrative by already conceding that there is Islamophobia. By already conceding that everything that happens on the ground in relation to Muslims, any kind of a public debate uh, uh, is Islamophobia. In fact, when I wrote these couple of pieces, are making this point in the wire and other news portals on on, on some TV channels. Uh, some of my Uh, Muslim colleagues told me, this is also Islamophobia, the fact that you're denying Islamophobia is also Islamophobia. So this kind of a blanket expansion of a term uh, to which I think is is quite counterproductive. My third point would be, I think, we'll have to also look at this growing polarization in the context of economy. I think Islamophobia kind of a culturalized uh, narrative displaces the place of economy. I think neoliberal 19 post 1990s i think the rise of cultural majoritarianism post 1990s i mean these right-wing forces existed have a history of 100 years but they could never capture a popular imagination the way they have succeeded now to a large extent uh, began to happen post 1990s post neoliberal reforms i think that connect between cultural majoritarianism and neoliberalism is, is a very very important connect that neoliberalism also produces, needs a certain kind of a surplus population that needs to be displaced and dispossessed, you know, what we otherwise refer to as a primitive accumulation or in the urban sector, the disorganized uh, uh, informal labor. I think these are very important in some of my surveys in Telangana, for instance, in Mahbubna district, uh, post 2000, uh, which is very silent and people have not noticed this, is that uh, The right-wing forces have made a concerted mobilization where Muslim sellers uh, sell their products like the retail shops they have only to Muslim customers, the Hindu customers do not go there. Even they they told me that their supply of the product happens only from the Muslim contractors, that no Hindu contractor sells to them. So there has been a literal economic uh, ghettoization of Muslims, which in course of time then triggers and, you know, the, we start noticing it when there is organized uh, big time violence that happens. But there are these insidious economic uh, processes uh, uh, that uh, keep happening much before uh, 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 for why that violence, you know, fructifies into that kind of a hatred. And this Islamophobia kind of discourse simply allows us no space to enter into this real-time economic why certain Petty producers among Hindus would be interested in a certain kind of violence against Muslims. I think it's deeply rooted in uh, economy. Studies in of Gujarat also uh, clearly show. Jan Bremen's studies in Ahmedabad, the textile mills, and how he argued that the communal violence happened wherever textile mills were closed down. That old collapse of trade union movement was, he in fact argues, is directly linked to the nature of violence against uh, Muslims, so this this cannot be captured simply by referring to. two. There are further more complex issues. For instance, in Uttar Pradesh, uh, uh, in some pockets, uh, Muslims are landed. Uh, they are the landed community, where uh, like any other landed community, they indulge in economic exploitation against mostly against Dalit labour, including the instances uh, I am told uh, uh, of uh, sexual violence against Dalit women. Uh, so this. Is again, I think a very complex phenomenon. How do uh, this overlap between uh, religion and class uh, exploitation, uh, which happens in small pockets, and I think in Uttar Pradesh, in these pockets, part of the mobilization against Muslims or part of the shift of the Dalit Bahujan communities towards right is happening because of their economic and social uh, positioning. Because Muslims also practice uh, caste-based kind of Hindu caste-based kind of discrimination. Similarly, the, uh, uh, the recent phenomenon of lynching that we uh, watched is also because of this what some have referred to as the cow economy. That the lynchings are linked to the nature of uh, displacing uh, Muslims from uh, some of these uh, trade, trade that is involved uh, within uh, with the uh, uh, cow, cow, cow economy. Uh, and this is where I think we need to, therefore, if you look at this kind of uh, history, I think we need to recognize that Islamophobia, as a, uh, as a conceptual in North America, uh, which has a very distinct history, which, uh, as I said, has a distinct notion of modernity. Uh, it, ha- it moved from secularism to multiculturalism. Uh, what multiculturalism did uh, to uh, much of Europe Uh, Which they have themselves later recognized and sort of uh, partly rejected as a viable social policy is that uh, uh, it, it brought a certain kind of a legitimized social ghettoization between the communities. I remember when I was in Denmark, a friend took me out for a walk and he, he showed me how colonies uh, existed distinctly, that you had a South Asian, you had a Bangladeshi colony, you had a white colony, you had a Muslim colony. Each one of them, they were socially, they were completely uh, segregated and separated. And the interesting part was that they never thought that there is, there is anything wrong with that. That was a legitimate multiculturalism where everyone exists in their own space. So, there is in the end less conflict uh, that happens, which is what the political philosopher Zizek refers to as uh, uh, difference as distance. That is, you experience this difference uh, through distance, through literally social distancing that happens between uh, communities. He wrote, and he said this has something to do in his very famous piece, which he wrote Multiculturalism or the Logic of Multinationals. Uh, A very interesting piece that he did in New Left Review, he makes this very interesting point that multiculturalism its social logic has something to do with multinational global capital and financial capital of how the social ghettoization also has economic uh, overturns and economic uh, emphasis. Uh, In Indian context, I'm I'm trying to argue that uh, uh, we never had a policy of multiculturalism. Uh, We never had a very legitimate idea of, I think, Indian history of secularism is very, very different. We were trying to not, uh, we did not even agree to uh, secularism as a a separation of religion and uh, politics or religion and the state. Uh, We have had, uh, uh, I think, a very selective intervention of state uh, being a post-colonial democracy. We wanted to secularize social spaces, yet uh, provide uh, legitimacy to religious identity i think indian secularism is not anti-religious it is anti-communalism and anti-majoritarian but it is not anti-religious in course of handling this complexity of course secularism did many things of uh, uh, allowing muslims to continue with their personal laws uh, intervening with beginning with hindu code Bill into uh, hindu religious practices uh, whether that is right or wrong was that the best way to go about was there a kind of a trade-off between social rights and cultural identity of the Muslims in the Constituent Assembly, these are all, I think, very legitimate uh, and very complex uh, debates in the Indian context. But this is not the kind of multiculturalism uh, that uh, Europe uh, uh, experienced. I think we, our secularism, is a very, uh, I think, acknowledged, a very lived diversity, and I think it acknowledges religion as 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 uh, as an everyday social practice. Uh, that religion has social ethics uh, and therefore I think that that we never had that kind of a rigid segregation between Hindus and Muslims. Even today when I go back to my village uh, in Telangana very close to Hyderabad, I see that Hindus and Muslims uh, live very close together, they are in the know of their family affairs, there is an economic interdependence that happens in agriculture and in the non-farm sector. Uh, uh, and also in Indian context, therefore, because of this community presence of Muslims, I think they were linked uh, very closely to democratic uh, process and to democratic political participation. Even Mr. Modi in one of his interviews said that we have no homegrown insurgency of uh, Muslims in India. And that's partly because a lot of they uh, are invested in democracy and political participation. And therefore democracy also brings uh, Muslims in close interaction, in a, in a continuous public gaze on uh, Muslim politics and what they are doing and Muslim uh, uh, cultural practices. So there, that's the reason why we do not have that kind of a, a ghettoized imagination of Muslim as an unknown figure. I think for Islamophobia and for irrational fear uh, to, uh, to exist, uh, you need to have the other uh, as, as someone who is completely unknown. And Therefore, there is, uh, he exists only in a certain imaginary domain. Which is what the right wing forces, of course, are attempting to do uh, through social media, through distortion of history, through by this demographic anxiety they create, of they multiplying faster. All this is to create Islamophobia, but uh, 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 it is to create, it is to, it is to construct Islamophobia. They have, and that once they have constructed, I think the right wing forces. Uh, assume to assume that once it's constructed, then the nature of violence against Muslims will become more spontaneous, then it becomes more organic, then it becomes uh, without control, without it being necessarily engineered, that it would erupt in its uh, everyday form. Uh, so we are, we are, I think, making a category mistake of what is being attempted to construct. We are already conceding by saying that there is uh, this rampant Islamophobia in India. Uh, and I think you have already conceded a lot of social space to the right. Uh, and I, for right, I think, is uh, my own hunch is that right is uh, very comfortable uh, in uh, arguing that there is Islamophobia in India. Because you have already conceded what they actually wish to build. In fact, when I wrote this piece, in wire, of course, there were some critical interventions, but uh, uh, one of the RSS, uh, I think they do this weekly, I forget the name, and uh, they released a video, uh, they did a half an hour video on my article and said that here is a person from JNU, who is saying that there is no Islamophobia. So he was actually angry that I was saying that there is no Islamophobia. So I think we need to really read between the lines to see why right would be unhappy if we say that there is no Islamophobia. And they would want us to convince uh, uh, that we need to make this category mistake and already concede and say that there is uh, Islamophobia that exists uh, in India. That takes me to the, uh, the question of uh, uh, why I think Muslim uh, politics also is caught within this uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of a uh, blanket, easy uh, kind of a very simplified framing of uh, Islamophobia. Uh, apart from secular liberal forces, I think Muslim politics also takes this easy route of flattening out uh, is because of I think the internal complexities that exist uh, within uh, Muslims. I think, this idea of our inability uh, to deal with the historical complexities, the fact that there was real-time violence between these two communities from both ends, it was not just uh, Hindus, but it was violence, and both communities suffered. I think partition is, continues to be a, a living memory. So the first point would be that even Muslims' uh, politics does not actually know how to deal with this. The second important point I think is that we are, we do not really have a handle on uh, making a distinction between cultural differences and prejudice. That uh, that is all cultural difference uh, linked to prejudice. Uh, I think even I am thinking through this problem. I do not have clarity that it looks at certain points as some political theorists have argued that all difference uh, can be necessarily constructed. Uh, only uh, by othering by by not by a certain kind of a closure and therefore prejudice continues to play a role so we really also I think in the Indian context since cultural difference is so lived so uh, diversity is so everyday a uh, form it's a lived form uh, that uh, we do not know how to negotiate these prejudices uh, for instance in food habits uh, the differences that exist so you can have certain communities being vegetarian certain communities not. That, uh, is this a difference or a prejudice? Uh, this, I think, is, is in its everyday forms, we really do not know how to handle them. Therefore, in, in every Muslim majority spaces, uh, like uh, Aligarh, uh, you know that you have uh, Ramzan and everything closes down. Now, is this a kind of a majority legitimate or illegitimate? We do not know whether that's a cultural difference, whether it's the imposition of one religion on another, so I think on everyday uh, the way cultural difference plays out in its everyday very concrete uh, micro spaces uh, uh, we do not know where to draw the line between cultural difference and prejudice. Cultural difference can easily spill over in popular politics in popular uh, 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 you know imagination that this is prejudice of one community. and the concrete can be very uh, kind of a very flat uh, lateral kind of a difference. So I think we have we have really failed to make Uh, this distinction between these two. Uh, Similarly, as I said, that uh, that then takes me to this question at the third level that uh, uh, Muslim politics is also built on a certain uh, homogenized understanding of uh, Muslim identity, which I think again uh, does not exist on the ground. That there is no single category like the Muslim existing. You have class, you have caste differences, you have regional and spatial differences uh, that are very strong. And for instance, the Pasmanda uh, question that is coming up again and again in Indian, uh, the Shia Sunni distinction that is coming up again and again. Uh, I think for even for the Muslim politics, therefore, using Islamophobia becomes a, really a shorthand uh, to sort of maintain the cohesiveness uh, within the Muslim. Identity as I argue doesn't really exist. In fact, the right wing political parties, uh, especially the RSS, is extremely aware of these internal differences, which is what they're trying to do in Kashmir uh, by uh, you know uh, wooing the Shias over the Sunnis. They are the first one, which is uh, it's ironic in the Indian context. Uh, in their uh, Goa Convention, I think, or Karnataka Convention, uh, they were the first one to raise the demand of reservations for uh, past manda Muslims. So they are trying to now play on these internal differences uh, within the Muslims. Neither the secular democratic uh, forces nor the Muslim politics uh, led by somebody like OIC, I think, uh, are willing to sort of dip in and really negotiate as to how do we place these real-time economic and social differences that exist within the Muslims. The prejudice that really exists, uh, rampant prejudice, and one has to only visit Kashmir Valley to see how there is so much of a rampant prejudice of uh, valley Sunni Muslims against those from Ladakh, Shias from Ladakh, against Kunch Muslims from border areas, uh, the rural uh, urban Muslims against rural. So there are all kinds of internal uh, prejudices that flow. Uh, and therefore, the Islamophobia then becomes uh, this kind of a shorthand to maintain a kind of an internal uh, cohesion that uh, really does not uh, exist. And therefore, the limit of the Islamophobia kind of an identity discourse is the OIC kind of uh, politics. That uh, I do not think that OIC uh, would, uh, while, uh, while Muslims would argue that he that is articulating a certain kind of a minority politics, but I, I would argue that that kind of a politics that Mr. OIC Uh, uh, represents, I think, is a very counterproductive kind of uh, uh, regressive uh, minority politics. I've had a chance to closely watch OIC's politics in uh, Telangana and Hyderabad. Uh, He completely banks on displacing the social question of Muslims' access to education, economic expansion of economic opportunities, and uh, singularly focuses on this question of religious identity and cultural threat, which is the kind of narrative that the right also requires. So there is a kind of a uh, Jugalbandi that keeps happening uh, between the OIC brand of uh, Islamophobia politics and the brand of RSS to, wish to construct that kind of an Islamophobic uh, majoritarian politics in India. So it is at this uh, context I would uh, turn and argue that uh, uh, the way forward really is, as I said, we should move back to contextual communalism as a discourse in the Indian public sphere uh, recognize that we have an oscillating uh, public sphere in the Indian context. Uh, uh, then recognize and then work on how this complex history that these two communities have had in India, uh, uh, going back to even pre-colonial rule, and how to make that complexity part of popular memory and popular imagination. But what is that secular? And People have made this attempt, for instance, Akbar as a symbol of Uh, secular Muslims, so on and so forth. I think we need more attempts of that kind, but also we will will have to face those instances where there has been a real-time violence of even Muslims against Hindus. How do we deal with that that violence? I think we need a certain kind of a discourse uh, uh, to counter this sense of historical injury that is being built. I think secular democratic, uh, especially left forces in India completely deny the sense of historical injury of uh, Hindus. Uh, this sense of anxiety, demographic, or uh, sense of a an, uh, cultural anxiety that it might create—I uh, I don't think that kind of a blanket denial, uh, I think, uh, is useful. It, in fact, provides the social space necessary for majoritarian politics. And whenever I refer to this, uh, of course, my friends caution me that this will might also open space for more Islamophobia, more agri- uh, no, legitimate violence against Muslims. That—that that is a real challenge. I do see that point. But for that, I think putting the blanket, pushing it under the carpet, uh, I think does not help. We need some kind of you know, opening of dialogue the way South Africa did, a, some kind of a truth commission of reconciliation, opening up of to stare back out our own history of a, a partition and then a post partition history, real time cultural differences between these communities and convert it into, uh, and I think, I, think, I think at this context, this therefore requires internal, uh, I think I see a link, I'll, I'll come to that, I'll explain uh, that link, uh, and therefore, I, uh, I'm trying to argue, I'm trying to at this context, raise the question that uh, uh, for secularism uh, to succeed uh, in the Indian context, uh, I think opening up the question of questions of power, discrimination and prejudice internal to communities uh, for after this kind of a authoritarian populist mobilization of the right thing becomes some kind of a, a necessary condition. Uh, I see a link between the social conditions internal to these subaltern communities and uh, this kind of a secular progressive discourse. I think we do not have that privilege any longer to put a lid on these internal questions and uh, then have a secular ethos. That is where I see that uh, uh, gender I think is a, becomes the, I think the most key category along with caste, which is much less uh, perhaps pertinent in the context of uh, Muslim politics. And I think opening up of the gender question, the way we have seen Shaheen Bagh, uh, 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 women coming onto streets, uh, the question of women's autonomy within the Muslim community, uh, I think raises the question of justice at a different level. That uh, that you can no longer minority communities, or for that matter, even this question remains relevant for Dalit Bahujan communities. So that you know that what, how do we frame internal discriminatory prejudices, practices between subcastes within Dalits, between subcastes within the OBCs, between the OBCs and Dalits? This is what in my recent. A book which I've edited I refer to as secular sectarianism that there is a sectarian logic internal to uh, the subaltern castes, that that they have also that we have we have failed to open up these internal and you can see that how right wing political mobilization today in Pradesh uh bihar are actually expanding by mobilizing the underrepresented subaltern castes Uh, within the OBCs and within the Dalits. The the fact that our kind of a secular Bahujan discourse failed to open up that space, that there is internal discrimination, that internally Dalits and this kind of affirmative action and political representation has failed to provide some kind of a level playing field for smaller Dalits and smaller uh, subcastes within the OBCs as what has given a massive entry point so this old argument that uh, you no know, secular uh, political scientists, sociologists, argued that OBC reservation is some kind of a second democratic upsurge, is a secular upsurge, and, uh, and a caste is a kind of a, uh, a check on confessional politics, you know, that because of caste divisions internal to Hinduism, that in itself guarantees a certain kind of a secular uh, upsurge, because it does not allow for cultural majoritarianism and Hindu identity to consolidate, I think today has fallen flat. Uh, today, we clearly see that more internal fragmentation, more recognition of internal identities is leading to more cultural majoritarianism. So, this kind of holding on to this larger rubrics of Dalit and OBC that secular politics did. Uh, that's the reason I call it as secular sectarianism. That the sectarian logic within uh, uh, secular groups in their political functioning, the way secularism, I think, in its workings, not in its spirit, but in its working translated on the ground, has provided a huge space for uh, right in cultural mobilization. I think they are able to also morally, on an ethical front, uh, question the legitimacy of this whole language of justice that progressive left forces use, that on one hand you are demanding for equality, but on other, another hand you do not want to yourself practice that equality internal to your own communities. So you would want to be equal to the Hindu counterpart, but the question of gender and caste internal to Muslims becomes an internal question. Dalits and Bahujans would want equality and equal share vis-a-vis the dominant caste, but the discrimination internal to them remains something internal that no other uh, caste cannot intervene in. This, I think, was the social basis for secular discourse, which to my mind, I think the right-wing groups have managed to, uh, right or wrong, uh, gain a uh, foothold. And I think that old kind of a secular discourse has uh, collapsed. So I, I therefore also have argued in my book on India after Modi that this kind of an authoritarian right-wing populism actually might present us to uh, deepen democracy in the Indian context. That in a a default way, uh, as an unwitting, unwilling kind of a byproduct, could be that it is opening up new spaces for a different kind of political discourse and a different kind of beyond the majority, minority, secular, communal kind of a discourse. That we are now forced to stare at issues uh, that we are not very comfortable with uh, issues that we do not have ready political categories and political theorization. And I think the first entry point for that is uh, the gender question. That gender question uh, uh, within the Muslims brings in a very important way that constitutional, when, when you take recourse to constitution, uh, people can legitimately ask you that uh, you uh, that you cannot have uh, take recourse to constitutional you know, provisions and constitutional morality in a selective way. That you cannot argue for secularism uh, and constitutional morality vis a vis a dominant community, but uh, refrain from referring, allowing that constitutional principles and constitutional ethos when it comes to internal matters of the community. I think that old way of preserving cultural identity uh, with this gender question might change, uh, and I welcome it. I think it's an important way that we should be opening up of internal power dynamics across all religions and all caste groups. Uh, I think that, uh, in a sense, will give us a way out of uh, uh, this language of secular sectarianism. That, the fact that these groups were individually uh, ghettoized uh, 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 and, and this logic of justice got uh, ghettoized, I think, is breaking down. And that, I think, it provides us uh, for a new context of discussing about what is the alternate modes of solidarity between uh, Dalits, Muslims and OBCs, I think for the first time is uh, is opening up in a real sense, that unless we do not sort of galvanize and address these questions of internal these internal limitations within these communities and their self-representation, uh, this this language of secular unity that was offered uh, without questioning power internally, uh, uh, I think for the first time in a very meaningful way, in an unwitting way, the Hindutva kind of politics is opening up for us. And that, I think, to my mind, will be the good takeaway from this kind of authoritarianism that we have been putting, especially coming from Perhaps empathize with the kind of continuous uh, breathing down that we have been facing in uh, JNU. Uh, uh, and therefore, I would conclude uh, by arguing that uh, uh, I think the gender uh, uh, politics might open up different modes of framing common issues of women across castes and across uh, religious groups. Once this question becomes foregrounded, a uh, question of maybe domestic violence, economic opportunities, social prejudices, control, too much Akrovarti argues, the caste, after all, in the point uh, was also essentially about control of property and women's sexuality. Uh, so this this kind of intersectionality uh, inter uh, uh, know, that existed between these various identities, uh, I think now with the gender uh, I think in that sense uh, becomes an important more, and one of the reasons I feel I would conclude by arguing that uh, you know the Muslim uh, the that sexuality the question of sexuality I think is at the center of this mobilization against uh, Muslims, you no know, French Enlightenment uh, theorists philosopher Walter once very interestingly said, you cannot hate something that you do not love passionately. We only hate things that we actually love passionately somewhere in our subconscious we adore. I think something of that kind is uh, on with the uh, question of Muslim uh, framing of the Muslim identity, even in the Indian context and partly globally because of uh, liquid modernity and community anxiety growing. I mean, I don't have the time to get into the details, but I think there is, there is this question of sexuality, gender control uh, that, uh, that leads to a certain kind of an envy of the Muslim that is being constructed. Uh, as I said, I don't have the time. That's a complex uh, argument I make, but I will leave that uh, for a moment, but then argue that sexual uh, control of sexuality and the gender question, uh, and, and in general, the internal power equation, once we begin to open it up, uh, as it happened in Shaheen Bagh, uh, though there were only old women mostly sitting there, but I wish there are more young women who come onto the streets, Muslim women. Uh, uh, I think that will change the equation. That will, I think this question that once the gender becomes, uh, I think a large number of internal questions will begin, this whole myth of singular Muslim identity will begin to crack up uh, of Dalit. And I think which is a, which is a welcome thing in a way. Uh, and that will open up for framing questions of justice in very different way from this majority-minority kind of thing. That will also open up a, a real-time space for uh, perhaps alliance between the Dalits, Muslims, and OBCs that we were looking that we were looking for. Uh, uh, And therefore, I think we'll have, we'll find a way beyond secular sectarianism, but to get there, I think uh, my uh, attempt today has been that we begin with a certain kind of a critique of uh, uh, this kind of a blanket use of uh, Islamophobia as a discourse. I think, Professor Indra, I'll stop here so that we have some time uh, because Arjun said half an hour is my upper limit. So I'll stop here and thanks to all of you for this uh, patient uh, hearing. Uh, Well, in fact,
0: thanks a lot. Um... Dr. Ajay for a very interesting presentation and I think um, you surely brought in the difference between um, contextual communalism and uh, Islamophobia and uh, you mentioned as to how Islamophobia has got more to do with uh, North American and European perspectives of looking at um, Muslims and you know I think their own cultural moorings and all and uh, how in India I think the context is more of um, you know contextual uh, communalism as such uh, which is uh, both uh, which is social, political, and economic as such in nature. And uh, I think uh, I agree to that. And I think most of us will agree to that. And I think uh, you surely bring about uh, this thing about uh, how, you know, uh, most of this uh, communism has been socially engineered riots. And uh, like you spoke about Delhi, and, uh, you know, I must share that because I think we were involved in the relief uh, during the post riots in Delhi. You know, and uh, so uh, we, with lots of world organizations, all moved around in Mustafabad and these areas. You know, not East District as such, and everybody was uh, saying, you know, that how there were outsiders who came and attacked, you know, uh, the Muslims, and that they had learned, they they had never seen whether it's Shivihar, whether you know uh, uh, the various crossings and all that we had been to. Everywhere, uh, thing was the same. Thing was there like that outsiders who attacked, and uh, you know also uh, somewhere if you see, you know I think the way the Union Government also handled it with the basic reports and all, I think you know mm. uh, keeping Kapil Mishra out of it when he's publicly declaring and challenging, and today in fact there are reports against everybody else against Yudhishthir Riyadh, against Harsh Mandar mm. and all that, and Kapil Mishra, not a finger being pointing towards him. So how? With the police and how, you know, like I remember those days. You know, um, Ajay, you, you were also in at that time. You know, we we started a WhatsApp group at that point. You know, and I must tell you, I used to get messages around one o'clock in the night that uh, people are congregating this point and trying to attack the Muslim and uh, you know, um, you know groups. And for the next after the riots also, which was from about 24th to 26th of uh, February. After what happened, you know, when Modi was there in Gujarat, it was a very well-timed stuff, very well programmed stuff. You know, it was a fully programmed engineered thing, which you all understand. How they use that to actually you know, uh, divert the attention, to you know, let's there'll be no media talking about it because everybody's talking about um, you know Trump there. So I think they, they use all that. And I think we saw as to how the entire state machinery was used, you know. That time the elections were just fresh and this party had come to power. So they wanted to discredit the parties. So I think it was lots of th- things going on, you know, that if, if they can impose president's rule there, if they can use, you know, nullify the elections, whatever. I think there were a whole lot of things happening. So you can understand, you know. And um, so for us, uh, because we were involved in the uh, post right relief, I think we had lots of candid observations from both the women, the children, and the men, you know. So uh, we were at the it's uh, uh, relief center also where we engaged, and there were groups that were working there. We have we have had friends working there as such, you know? So we know as to how this was and engineered by the party in power, and by by DGV itself, Very clear, you know. No no point no in missing words here. And uh, so we were able to we were able to stall some of the riots which were going to take place in the night because we called up the joint commissioner of the police. You know, uh, there was uh, this person called Alok Kumar who was joint um, commissioner of police, North District. And uh, fortunately, I met him on one occasion. And every time I used to message, say, please communicate this to other police officials. And that actually worked, where we were up at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and all that, sending a this is message We're getting, please stop it. Otherwise, you all will be held responsible. You know, and so, so we know how things were happening, how rumours were being spread we're getting calls from Jahangir Puri and other areas of, uh, you know, Delhi, Tilak like, uh, Nagar and all, you know, like how this rumor is coming up, you know, that Muslims are, you know, the Hindus are gathering to attack uh, Muslims and all that, you know. So, so I think what I talk about uh, contextual communism uh, vis-a-vis, uh, you know, Islamophobia, I think the entire game, as you mentioned clearly in your presentation was to actually, you know, create the wedge between the Hindus and Muslims, you know, create a fear, you know, amongst the Muslims that in the entire Hindu countries against them. So I think this, fortunately, I think, through what's happened in the past many, many years, I think, uh, surely, you know, we've had great uh, secular moorings in the country, despite the fact that the right wants to create a wedge in our society. I think, you know, we are still, I would uh, say, secular, you know, in uh, many of these things. And I would also bring in here, you know, that, um, I think for many of us you know, who are also from JNU and I also I did my one master's in Jamia. This year in Jamia, we have 100 years of Jamia, okay, which emerged through the nationalist movement. And I was there in Jamia about two weeks back celebrating 100 years, uh, world over. And, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie, the friendship that we have with each other. So, and even, to, even today, you know, there is no such thing, you know, that there is any wedge between us and them. We are all together. And one point which you bring in here, you know, I think which is very, very important is that, you know, like we have, you know, uh, had friends like Ram Punyani, you know, who has so beautifully talked about Mm. as to how even, you know, like, these these, uh, Hindu forces tried to pitch Rana Pratap versus Akbar. And Ram Punyani makes it very clear that actually Rana Pratap had a Muslim general and Akbar had a Hindu general. So it was not uh, you know, a war between two committees. It was a war for their own dominion status, right? So don't make, don't uh, redraw history, don't recreate history, which is not there, you know. Mm. So similarly, I want to, I think you mentioned this thing about Shahin Bagh. you know, lots of women have come out, and I want to also bring this fact here, um, you know, which I think is important for us to also discuss as we go by, that uh, because I've been to Shahin Bagh, I've been to mobilizations um, in uh, Nizamuddin, in Jammu Masjid. And I must tell you, I saw a large number of young women, young girls speaking out. We had Jannat Faruqi in Jama Masjid stairs, speaking against CAA and NRC, you know, young girl in all her twenties. And what a formidable clarity she had, you know, you know, and we were there, we were there to support her. So I think the large number of young girls, which emerged from the Muslim community. I think the, the most important thing is that, and that I would say is the cultural resurgence of the country. What Modi and Amit Shadim realized that by getting the CA and RC, they got all of us mobilized. So when you talk about India against Modi, we're really saying that it's going to deepen democracy. I ditto that because we all got together and maybe our has got together much deeper. And maybe that is the real promise that we all see As to where the right elements are trying to create Islamophobia by all those lynchings and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Betty, Kya? Uh, bahu Lao Betty Bachao, love jihad concept that they have. And, you know, I think so, all those things I think is very important that even even the Muslim community and the Hindu community, they are aware of it. The only thing is they are trying their best to create the wedge. And I think, you know, your issues about, um, you know, Um, that um, uh, there is a secular sectarianism and uh, you know that how the subaltern caste actually how it has been you know um, there's been a wedge between that and how this is something which we need to grapple with I think is an important point I agree with that I think and somewhere you know um, I think we also fall prey to what you were saying in terms of you know culture communism versus Islamophobia we also try to get this thing that oh my god you know this is what is happening. But the truth, as you said rightly, you know, is that actually it is not a question of Islamophobia. It's like many, many communalisms that they're trying to create in the country. You know, it is a ploy. It's very much engineered. It is not spontaneous. I totally agree with you. So, thanks for this very, very interesting presentation, um, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Rajay, And I would now request um, you know, uh, other friends here, uh, you know, whether it's Simi or um, Arjun and other participants to just contribute to this. Any questions you have, just add to that. Who oh, do you? Surveyor Professor Govind Kilkar. Yeah, Govind ji, please. Yes, yes. Govind ma'am. Govindji yeah. Govind ji, oh, to you? For your
3: uh, views. Okay, you. I'm your video.
4: Okay. Okay. All right. Now, uh, Doctor Ajay, I I agree with most most part of it, I really do agree. And I have a hope and I thank you and uh, Indu ji for uh, giving some hope, hope is the way of life, that there would be a rise of surge of democratic forces. I've been feeling very hopeless. That is yeah. the kind of thing. I think yeah. when these forces, these leaders come up, they come up because there is a widespread Malay in our society. Uh, that is the kind of thing that I've been feeling like this. So uh, hate is created by a majoritarianism, and this majoritarianism is not only confined to these two putlas. Mm, it is much more that kind of thing. So that would be the one thing. Uh, I agree that there is economic ghettoization of Muslims. That is true. Uh, that is a, and that shows the kind of general lack of uh, a bit of backwardness in terms of not letting women out. I would think and compare to other societies. So that is also, I see that. But, uh, and I have also witnessed social ghettoization, Pakistani area, this and that uh, kind of, uh, even in Scandinavia, which I kind of, you know, Oslo and other places, which I thought that very democratic centers that was there. Where I have some point, uh, when I said I mostly agree with this, uh, that I, I missed you in uh, the first uh, 10 minutes or so. I was in another uh, Delhi University seminar uh, where I had to speak. That uh, mostly seemed to be the um, economic factor, hmm? that this was the kind of economic factor. This is true that Muslims are economic, uh, economically poor, but uh, we have never, we have not or never addressed cultural identities that is also kind of not during this time, not earlier also. Some ad hoc attempts were made but not really addressed. That was the kind of thing that uh, that has come. So when we talk of RSS or the like politics, it is not only economic factor, it is social cultural factors also. You cannot get uh, you cannot really say that um, sati. Hmm? Burning of the women on the pyre or witch hunts. I have recently I published a book on witch hunts. These were the kind of practices uh, because of the economic factors. Of course, women don't inherit anything. That is true. And a land question is also there, but their land question is also there responsible for the witch hunts. Huh? But it is not really because of the uh, because of the economic factors. Because even when a person like Vishamunda he fought against the British colonialist. The song was kill, kill, oh father, kill, kill these witches and cleanse the forest so that they are purified. So that is what uh, probably then that one thing that uh, uh, need to uh, kind of uh, be addressed. That prejudices have social and cultural roots in addition to economic roots. That would we also have to uh, be see that we are very caste stratified society so that is the i mean there are not only atrocities against Muslims there are at, or atrocities against women there are atrocities so much against dalits and the treatment of dalits and that becomes the basis besides being their poor status there is the caste kind of purity and pollution that goes on so we need to build a, a approach uh, of powering or empowering society uh, empowering of subaltern starting with women you talked of Shaheen Bagh. I also have been to Shaheen Bagh a number of times. And it was not only, as uh, Indu Prakashji said, that it was not only uh, old women, although dadi got very kind of yes. in prominence. She was very, it were many young women who were yes. singing very kind of um, interesting songs. And what was most impressive, they kept the crowd in control. They yes. did not want anybody to come, uh, any political party to come and take over the things. I was very impressed with this, that they, it was their movement and they wanted to keep control of this. This fact uh, most impressed me besides their coming together. But I was also, I've seen that kind of, and I was, why, why I'm talking of the subaltern? Because earlier I had seen Shahin Bak, uh, Shah Wano case. But Shah Wano's case for justice that she wanted was not really supported by left. And I had a debate at that time with the left very strongly kind of thing that how this, this is a struggle for justice, it maybe any kind of thing, but it was a political strategy on their part and they did not support that. So later it was lining on this part. I could not agree more with you on this final point that you said the real, really gender, I call it feminist. feminist feminism is the way uh, that will show, uh, of course, the social democratic path to us because they are oppressed in both Hindu and uh, Muslim and other societies, Christian societies. And um, their, their their sexuality, their body, their labor, everything is controlled. And they are physically eliminated. Control Not only simple control, but most brutal kind of form of control. And this kind of liberation of uh, women is going to lead some kind of democratic unleash because it is so brutal that even on the question of religion or culture, you cannot really support it. You cannot really <coughs> say this is part of our culture. So that is the force that is going to take place. But I am, I like your hope. I am look forward to reading your book that gender is going to show that or the women's liberation, I would call it, going to lead the liberation of the general society from these forces that are emerging. Thank you, Ajay, or Professor Ajay. Gudavarti, <coughs> how do you pronounce your last name, Gudavarti? Yes, Gudavarti,
3: absolutely.
4: OK, thank you. Pleasure, it was very nice meeting you. Thank you.
3: Simmi, would you like to go on?
4: Yes, you,
5: Dr. Ajay Gudavarti, uh, Dr. Indu, and Professor Govin Kelkar. For a wonderful uh, presentation, sir, and also um, ma'am and sir have put um, uh, their point of view so clearly. And uh, uh, it is, of course, a very passionate subject. And, um, sir, uh, I just have a, uh, one submission to make, uh, it is uh, rather a supplement to uh, your presentation, whether there is Islamophobia or not, or whether there is a phobia against any religion in India or any other part of the world, um, when uh, when the theory and practice uh, of politics supporting religion uh, comes to the forefront, we will see a domination of one or the other religion over the other. Uh, the entire syncretic and the shramanic tradition of indian political thought uh, you have you so wonderfully uh, teach um, it it actually uh, exhorts both the traditions have exhorted the disassociation of statecraft from religion um, and the reasons and the causes are obvious that um, uh, why why religion should be uh, separated from uh, politics. So if religion is relegated to our individual spaces, then certainly um, the state would then mind its business of its primary functions, which is to take care of uh, the people, uh, the comprehensive development of the people and all other various facets of development, which we are trying to aim at. So perhaps uh, one of the reasons why uh, we are still uh, a part of the global south is uh, is uh, is that we have uh, not really focused enough to uh, separate state from uh, religion. This is my understanding. I would really want to be corrected if, uh, um, if Dr. Ajay Gutavarti would like to. Thank you so much.
3: Sir, we have a young colleague also. We have... Uh Lynn, she's a young journalist, and also we have Punya. Punya studies gender as at this master's at this. So uh Lynn, would you like to go first? Uh,
6: yes, I, I'm just... not a I'm not a young journalist. I'm gonna correct you there. I have okay. trained in journalism and I practice independent media. And uh, I think my response to what uh, Dr. Ajay Gudravarti shared is sort of multifold. I disagree with uh uh, many of your submissions while I agree with a few of them. Uh, for instance, I agree with you when you talk about economic uh, ghettoization of people who are Muslim, you know, and uh, there is uh, there is obviously an organized nature in which this is done. Uh, there is an organized process. I would not say it is only uh, by people in politics. I would say it Needs obviously people who are on the ground, it needs civil society's participation for that to happen. You know, so for instance, in Gujarat, you will see that, uh, you know, women who were in upper class, upper caste homes and locations were pushed out uh, of their homes post the genocide of 2002, and economically, their standing comes down. They are not able to return to their old homes once the instance of violence is over, as well. So there is is definitely an economic uh, aspect to this exclusion. A lot of people have written about it, like Ramchandra Bhuvan. A lot of people, I mean, historically have written about this economic exclusion. But I would not say that uh, it is as simplistic as, uh, you know, uh, that uh, it it is only um, non-Islamophobic. I would not call it... um, only contextual violence. I mean, yes, the violence is contextual, because the context is, you know, there is a historical context to it. But I wouldn't uh, say that it is non-Islamophobic. That's, uh, I think, number one that I wanted to say. You also spoke about Muslim identity not being a monolith, you know. So um, there are, for instance, um, there is prejudice and discrimination within the Muslim community as well, towards SCST Muslims, towards uh, Dalit Muslims, towards, uh, you know, women um, within the Muslim community, that is also something that we cannot um, deny. At the same time, I think as a woman also, and locating myself as a minority woman, I would say that when we talk about, for instance, violence towards women, when we talk about rape and other forms of violence, if suddenly, you know, somebody tells me when I go to make a complaint of sexual violence that, you know, so I would say that, you know, when Muslim persons are being persecuted and being marginalized singularly for the identity of being Muslim, when you start speaking about the fact that Muslims are not a monolith, what it does is it sort of puts the onus back on the victim. And that's not something that I would say is desirable. You know, I also think it points towards another kind of prejudice, which is a patriarchal prejudice as well, where, you know, always the victim is blamed. Like I think uh, Dr. Indu was also talking about, you know, how uh, people who were victims, cases were filed against them. You know, so people who are practicing a certain kind of hate politics, when they are in uh, positions of political power, then they will also use it in that way that victims, you know, cases are filed against the victims. Right? Oh, thank so you. I Good think
3: Lin, yes yeah. very
6: quickly no exactly. one second I'm, uh, yes. one second I'm sorry uh, Dr. Kumar I'm not to you have your, your video on yes Lin, but uh, if, I, I, I can't yeah. have my video on because I'm in a community space I just want to say one more thing which is very important very I think uh, yes in this gathering for instance I think it is a, it is an issue that there is no according to my understanding there is no person who's Muslim who's represented represented on this panel and to me that yes. is a problem because you know we say nothing for us without us so it's really important to have that uh, if you will to be hear, muslim,
3: we can have yes, more people, to know. Hear
6: people who are muslim because they will tell you how they are being marginalized and excluded you know because it's easier for somebody who's not experienced it to say that this is uh you know not um islamophobia this is not uh, another kind of fear you know this is It's easy for us to say that, but somebody who experiences that discrimination on a daily basis, understands what it is at a visceral level to be discriminated against, you know, I think they will speak very differently. So that's, I will uh, stop for now and I will uh, leave you and others to discuss and I'll come back if there's more to say.
3: Great, but media person need to be more brief. Punea, uh, I don't brief.
6: agree with you, Dr. Kumar. Media persons don't need to time. be more brief. You're probably talking about mainstream media. We are not mainstream media. So we have our own ways of communicating and we will not subscribe to the mainstream ways of, you know, word Which, limits. Okay,
3: in the respect you. of time, Punya, very brief. Yes. Please. sure. Uh, very yes.
7: Brief. Yes. Uh, yes, sir. So I have one, uh, I don't know if it's a question or not, but I'm trying to understand... Uh, And also, I just wanted to put it across that uh, globally, we seem to have a rise uh, of hate against a certain minority community. And uh, mostly it is done through a right wing, like if you see in what's recently been happening in France or US or um, anywhere around. So um, I just want to uh, understand that, like as uh, Dr. Simi said that this is mostly done through um, a certain identification of politics. So, and uh, I also, uh, I don't know, I, I seem to have observed that uh, there is a lot of mirroring happening uh, of one place to another globally, like India or U.S. or um, other places are mirroring some kind of hate against a certain uh, minority, and in this case, uh, Muslims. So, um, I, I don't like you gave the perspective of India specifically, so if you could just briefly um, uh, explain that too. And it was a really nice, insightful session. So thank you for that.
3: Yes. You don't have to answer all of them. So many questions. Yes. But if you would like to, yes, reflect, we have few more uh, also, as Lynn was highlighting, few more also Muslim women colleague also with us. Some connection issues are also coming. A few more people are also. But Indusari, is, is it all right that uh, uh, Professor Ajay would have pre-
1: cover yes, up sir, some sure. issues as you have stated? Sure, yes. sure, sure, sure. Yeah. There are too many okay. questions. Please go ahead,
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, there were not very
1: really questions, I think. I mean, uh, 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 Professor Govind Kelkar. I think I agree with her that uh, gender, I think we are on the same page. That and, and we can also see this discourse emerging in Indian politics, especially electoral politics that now... <laughs> women are being addressed as an independent uh, constituency with issues like liquor prohibition in Bihar. Uh, The initial statistics show us that uh, women have voted independently and that has impacted uh, the uh, results. So I think this is a new trend which I feel uh, would emerge in long term I think in Indian politics as an independent constituency. Therefore, I think the way we are going to frame questions of violence because in communal rights, women suffer, the, the first to suffer the violence across communities in honor killing mm-hmm. to rape, to sexual violence. So I think if we begin to frame these questions, how is it going to change our understanding of community beyond this majority-minority uh, kind of thing? I think these are the new discourses that are waiting to uh, break through in the public sphere in India. And uh, therefore, I feel gender will remain, as Professor K. also said, I think an extremely important, uh, also it bre- uh, uh, breaches this public-private kind of uh, uh, differences uh conceptual i feel uh, breaching that the public private that women belong to the private and then uh, the male in the public i think one uh, conceptual things are i think they will have a very unknown kind of influences on uh, the very nature of the public sphere nature of violence nature of majority minority kind of distinction uh, this has something to do with they're all based somewhere between on this public-private kind of uh, distinction. Uh, to the second question by Simi, that you know, religion, you know, that that has been the problem. You know, that India did not go in for a clear-cut European kind of a distinction between state and religion, and and, and I think that's a, that's a good part of uh, Indian discourse. I don't think we are a communitarian society. Religion, Nandi Ashish Nandi makes an interesting distinction between religion and state, and religion as or ideology, you know that uh, what you're referring to is that that kind of an ideology instrumental use. But religion is also a much larger socio-ethical kind of a thing. And Gandhi attempted to politicize that kind of a religion as a social ethics, religion as spirituality, religion as a worldview. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think it's a good idea back to this idea of pushing um, back everything into the private and that uh, religion it can have role in legitimate, To to make that to other questions that I try to highlight, so how do you deal with the question of differences, what is the pertline between difference and uh, prejudice. Um, there are complex questions that will come in, so we we'll have to push, and I think we made a good beginning. I think India remained this kind of functional democracy, partly because we have allowed a certain legitimacy to religion, uh, not in just... Uh, so your audible? voice
5: is breaking uh your voice just broke for the last 30 seconds
1: uh, yeah but is it now clear
5: yes now it is okay
1: yeah so so that's so therefore we made a good beginning of the uh, i think religion will have some space and uh, i don't think we can go back to the european kind of uh, complete separation between religion and uh, politics that has again different discourse on white secularism and with capitalism and modern capital urban spaces uh, so on and so forth
5: again sir uh, Manurma ma'am was also there she had uh, raised her hand so indu sir if after yes. uh, surely you
0: know but yeah. uh,
5: he, yes I he has not... come back uh,
1: Ajay, are you uh, there? It is a uh, breaking. We are losing you, yeah, Ajay, time and again. I, I, think, I think there's some yeah, I know it's breaking. I, I don't know suddenly. So, something issue
3: issues, um, Also, search connection. Also, Shami, Sajid, Adam. Am I audible? Yes, sir. You are audible. Yeah, am I audible now? Am I clear? Yes, sir, you are clear, but many people are having this joining Are you
0: able to hear us? Uh, I don't know why. suddenly it is there. Uh... Yeah, uh, Ajay, yeah, we'll sure. Ajay will do one thing. We'll take some more questions and then if you see the connections better, we can just come back. Huh? So uh, we will just have some more people to talk. And in the meanwhile, if connection improves, I think we'll okay. have you again. So please, uh, um, uh, see me and uh, Arjun.
5: Uh, have I have ji and others to
0: also intervene. That's
3: right. No, Manurva, my normal is also having some difficulty. She's telling me over the phone. Yes. Then who wants to come in now? Who wants to come in now? Yes. Uh, sir, let me ask. Uh, yeah. uh, Professor Gudavarthi uh, Lynn has many questions. She will email you. I will give her or your email ID to her.
6: Yes, yes I, sir, can, I can ask one more question if nobody else is asking. No, no, Lynn, please. Asking. For of time. If please. nobody else
3: is. No, no, please. For paucity of time. For more questions, please write to the expert uh, with them. You can talk to them, you know, directly. Is it fine? yes, because many curious question also. Yeah, are, uh, yes. Arjun, Arjun, yeah. let yes. uh, let us speak. Let us speak. Yes, but let me also let me... ask you questions. Yeah. After, to... After you, then you can come in.
0: After Arjun, you come in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No yeah.
3: Yes. No issue. Yes. So, uh, uh, Dr. Sagardhavarti, thank you very much for your this very exciting and uh, uh, but the connection was a pretty low <laughs> bad, with uh, not an issue uh, for highlighting so many issues. Now we. Really know the census exercise for NPR also starting. So much of buzz has also started coming around on on that aspect, and uh, uh, because of this issue and the sectarian issue, uh, there there has been a lot of resistance also for data in and also in the service delivery uh, because the uh, also in policy because there has been a lot of prejudices and you know a, a lot of things also getting determined by it even. Uh, uh, the whole the genuine incident also which have, which has happened largely based on you know also this Islamophobia sort of thing. Indusar was also there uh, that night and we really saw that uh, if you remember sir in fact yeah, yeah. the other, sir was also there all the media yes. so yes. Uh, this is really deep-rooted but sir, this is also a global phenomenon not just only India Sir, so how do you see that it is very different in our subcontinent, and uh, 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 or is it very different in developing country or, or developed country, and uh, how it has been you know uh, tackled in a more democratic sort of manner? China also had the you know the Uyghurs and other examples. All the global media is also highlighting. So uh, this problem also persists in other nations, not just only limited to India. Sir, so how do you see in the world order? or, uh, you know, from learning from the history, uh, what has been the way forward in tackling this kind of sectarian mindset and having really a secular, uh, uh, going forward, democratic institutions coming forward and uh, what can be the institutional framework for solving this sort of thing? Because for, uh, I would say, 99% of Indian problem, uh, the the thing really come is that the behavior is like that. You know, it always comes to behavior that people not, uh and really getting used to it so how do you see this this arena uh, uh going forward and uh, there has been a lot of uh, reservation g- given by various state governments to the muslim community also to the minority community how do you see that politics uh, emerging especially uh, in this de- in this decade uh up government in fact has also uh, uh really highlighted something of that sort uh, uh, there also, and uh, we know in, in in southern India, in uh, in most of the uh, work where Sir you have done in your state Telangana and Andhra Pradesh, how do you see these things evolving? Uh, would that really lead to empowerment or more uh, secular or just society? And also, Sir, also your view: how our secularism is different uh, from the developed world or the uh, or the first world? Uh, your reflection for
0: all the audience. Yes, Dr. Jagadish. Yes, Ar- Ar- Arjun, uh, now I think I just have
6: Lynn to come in. Lin, can you come in now? Lynn, Lynn I, Yes, I was yeah. actually um, yeah. also wanting to talk about uh, you mentioned at one point, Dr. Gudavarti, about constitutional morality, and you also spoke about how the right-wing will be very happy, some of them at least, if we say that there is Islamophobia. You know, in, in fact they may, some of them may not agree with you. But I also felt the right-wing will be very happy with certain other assertions that you have made as well, for instance related to constitutional morality, the fact that there are personal laws which are constitutionally provided to people who are Muslim, you know, recognizing that they experience prejudice. I think um, when a certain section paints, you know, the access to uh, those personal laws as being unconstitutional, I think that for me is also an issue. So you know, there is, for instance, a counter narrative against, uh, you know, as as women's groups will say, there is a counter narrative against the minority oppressed Muslim, which is coming uh, through a lot of the mainstream media as well, which which uh, some may argue is, you know, leading a certain way. And, and through other discourses where the fact that uh, a, a Muslim is simply accessing, uh, you know, the personal laws, the provisions under the personal laws. Is is uh, is becoming a way by which they are being called regressive. I think there needs to be a, a, an understanding that you know accessing a Muslim personal law is not going against constitutional morality. Uh, just that one point for now. I just wanted to add.
0: Thank you, Ajay. What do you please?
1: Huh? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, uh... So in the previous round, uh, I forgot uh, Punya's point. You know, I failed to note it. But uh, anyway, I had to uh, go in order. So Lynn's point, uh, I still have not got the hang of uh, her disagreements. You know, frankly, I'm not very clear. But except to the point that uh, I can uh, begin with is that uh, experience cannot be, I think, a singular uh, basis. I think there's a difference between experience and uh, causation. That uh, merely Muslims uh, having to say that they're experiencing Islamophobia uh, does not convince me to uh, simply say that yes, we agree there is Islamophobia. I don't think causation. Uh, same phenomenon can have uh, uh, because experience itself we access. It's not something given out there. Experience itself happens through uh, existing categories. So uh, because of this, this kind of a, a large looming something hanging over heads that there is uh, uh, Islamophobia. So you begin to also experience things like that. And therefore I feel that in Indian context, we are missing out on uh, certain uh, issues that might uh, actually uh, be blocked by this question of, uh, by uh, the fact that we are framing it just as Islamophobia. Uh, So that's the point. So I think there's a very fundamental difference uh, in the way Lin is approaching and the way I would see that I think experience Cannot be a singular uh, category. You know, if that were true, that uh, many women, uh, 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 in times as anthropologists have noted, uh, would not experience uh, violence, domestic violence as violence. Uh, for instance, the debate that we are having on marital rape, that many wouldn't perhaps women see marital rape as violence. So that does not then augment. Uh, you no know, to the simple-minded conclusion that you know that there is no violence involved. So I think the complex issue and experience cannot be a single marker through which we can arrive at a very definitive kind of a confirmed conclusion that uh, Lin seems to be taking. Uh, I didn't get her point. Uh, I I did not say that personal loss. Uh, are conscious I am not clear on that point. So I think this part of it, I was clear. I think where she's coming from. So.
6: Yeah, or, I would say that, uh, you sure know, uh, you you mentioned that you, your research was based in Telangana. I would ask you to sort of probably, if you'd be interested to expand it maybe more into Gujarat, into, into Maharashtra, into other parts of India perhaps. And, you know, that might change your own perspective is my understanding of how I look at this, uh, you know. And I also want to say very quickly that I think the use of the word causation, I think is also a very right-wing term. It's also the language of the perpetrator. For instance, post-genocide Gujarat 2002. Lin, Lin, we did.
3: You. Yes. Now we have uh, uh, Manorama, ma'am.
6: Uh, one second. We did hear this. You know that uh, that it was a cause and effect thing, and uh, that is not. Uh...
3: Yes, Manorama, ma'am. Over to you.
5: Ma'am, are you able to join in? Ma'am has mentioned uh, her yes. question. Uh, sir, Ma'am's question, Manurma Ma'am, uh, her question is, what about the reverse minority in Kashmir, like Kashmiri Pandit women who are merely 1.8% before the genocide of Kashmiri pundits? Uh, so, this is just what she has mentioned. I'm not able to. Uh, yeah, ma'am is here actually. Uh, Dr. Yayama? Yeah,
2: yeah. I, think, I think, Simi, you have uh, exactly spoken what I mean to say. But apart from that, what I mean to say is that these are two different things. One thing is Kashmiri Pandit women who have been completely shunned prior to genocide of Kashmiri Pandits. Kashmiri Pandits were just 1.7% of the total population while as the Muslims were 98 uh, point some percentage. So when it comes to the seats and other kinds of things also, Kashmiri uh, Pandits had a very, you know, the last pie they had to take, whatever uh, bre- breadcrumbs were there, that was for them. And when they would go in the, you know, pan India for any kind of seats and uh, other things, they were being told that uh, they are the uh, you know, majority population being Hindus. So, there also, that's why we coined this word, the reverse minority for Kashmiri Pandits. Saying so, I mean, as a woman, I don't talk only about the Kashmiri Pandit women, but I also talk about the Kashmiri Muslim women. Like, they have been used by these jihadis, wherein, like, they are supplying the arms and ammunition. There have been lots of incidents wherein, in, under the disguise of Parda, they were sort of taking the arms. I'm talking about, like, you know, 90s and in 2013, 14, those kind of things, wherein like they were also involved in the planners and patterns of the militancy. And some of them, if you know, like Dukhra uh, and millet uh, and Andrabi and all that, who had come and who had actually, I mean, they used to put acid on the women if they are not using the Parda and all that. And that was the condition at that moment. And Kashmiri Hindu women were forced to put Bindi to show their, you know, identity so uh, so that they can also be identified. So my question is like, when we are talking, I think we need to look it from, I have not heard the whole conversation, but we need to look it not from the religious angle only. We need to look it from the gender lens, how women are going through all this, whether it's a Kashmiri Hindu or Kashmiri uh, Muslim woman. And we have to look it from a very different lens. And that is the lens of gender. A woman. So that is what I wanted to sort of like so that I could get answer to these kind of questions, which have not actually come up in general, you know, um, parlays of discussions.
3: Yes. Right. So Dr. Manurma bhakti uh, works with a senior advisor at Tata Trust um. and uh, works throughout uh, throughout India and also work on these issues also on minority. So really thankful ma'am, so that you can come up and really also uh, uh, mentioned the, the Kashmir side of story. Uh, Dr. Gudavarthi works a lot on this Kashmir and also Chhattisgarh next light belts. Yes, uh, uh, Dr. Gudavarthi. I'm trying to connect few more uh, uh, people, but we can be brief. and uh, Yes, re- now really wrap. Yes, over to you.
1: Yeah, I think we are on the same page. I think she agrees. Uh, Dr. Manuram also feels that uh, I think the gender entry point, once we begin to frame, uh, I think given the Kashmir question, we can see it very, very differently. So that this majority minority thing, that nature of violence itself, uh, I think, uh, can be framed differently. So, so we, we agree. I don't think there's much to disagree or uh, discuss there. So we agree that gender uh, will help us to frame the question differently.
3: Yes, yes, sir.
0: Indu, sir, would you like? Yes, him? my dear. Yes. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, uh, I believe that uh, most of the questions have been, you know, uh, taken up by uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's time that, you know, um, I think uh, we thank him for uh, the important uh, you know points that he raised until we have got some questions further to ask him or to elaborate on the points he made. You know, because I think uh, surely, you know, um, uh, when we have uh, these uh, discussions, uh, it is not that we're asking for total acceptance of what is being said. I think we can have a point of disagreement. And I would appreciate that, you know, this is kind of a conversation we are having. And uh, what in uh, fact I just spoke about uh, was very interesting from the perspective of understanding Islamophobia and uh, its Western moorings and all. And I think he tried to present an interesting perspective of how cultural, um, you know, uh, I think contextual um, communalism, is a some form is there. And uh, we had some very interesting discourses and conversations. And uh, I think, uh, Ajay, uh, we would like to thank you for your interesting presentation. And uh, we look forward to, um, you know, um, maybe uh, there are some questions that we raised here or certain observations, which you can also use in your further write-ups and studies and all which will enrich, I think, your observations and also will get further enriched. And we'll surely use, um, you know, we always, again, invite you for um, your presentation uh, in this forum and platform. And thank you for taking your time. Yes, it was uh, nice to have you here. Govind, would you like uh, to say anything as concluding remarks?
3: Professor Govind?
4: I think it is I concluded well. Yeah. I enjoyed the discussion, and yeah. I agree with yeah. Dr. Prakash Singh. So that is the I think final word is spoken, mm. and it has been uh I've been late also long. I
0: yes, think. yeah, yeah. So so we, we ended with a Zindabad to the work that you're doing and uh, for your uh, analysis Zindabhat for whom <laughs> <laughs> Zindabad for the spirit to continue the struggle. Uh Govinji, yes, Zindabad. To to annihilate contextual communism. Zindabad to <laughs> establish secularism further. Yes,
4: yes. You know, we have to
0: be diehard optimists. We can't yes, be pessimists. You know? So, for, yes, so right. Zindabad for that, not for what's happening in the country at the moment. Zindabad <laughs> for the spirit of fighting it out.
4: I know you, so I meant it, but I thought <laughs> it was... thank,
0: you, thank, you, thank, you, thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Professor
3: Gudavarthi, for that's really that's coming that's in. No, no. Thank you, Madame. Thank you. thank you, thank you. Have a nice day. Thank minutes. you. Bye-bye.